Welcome back to the original box set Shadowrun podcast. Today, we have a special episode featuring Odysseus and his character backstory. Sometimes it's fun to delve into what makes a person tick, what guides their decision making. We get a glimpse of that from the German gun adept as he attempts to reconnect with his past. When you can't trust anyone to keep your secrets, who do you turn to when you need to get things off your chest? Odysseus discovers an unlikely ally and friend in his bonded fire spirit, Fira. You'll be eavesdropping in on him like fly spies on a wall. We hope you enjoy listening. All right. So is it? Is, was I right? Was it Elliot Vane? Nice. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to catch a bus to Elliot Bay. Or a cab. I could take a cab. Is the, uh, so I remember the, the one time I took a cab, the cabbie was not happy that I had guns on me. Is that like a typical thing for cabbies? No, it's just that guy? Okay. Yeah. I'll take a cab. Cool. Alright, you arrive. The bay is, I'd say, cab ride is short, sweet, gets you to downtown Elliott Bay area, where you're able to get to the pier, where the barges are about to head out. The line to get in is long. I'm assuming you brought your raincoat because it's yes. raining. Of course. And then, you know, you, as well as all the other decorated dancers, get ready to head out into the bay. I don't remember if you remember why this kind of barge thing exists. Mostly it's because once you get far enough out in the bay, it doesn't rain as much. And so people can be outside on barges in the bay, not getting drenched. And drinking okay. alcohol. And they can also do gambling and other things out on the bay if they really feel like it because they're crossing territorial boundaries. But as the barges get underway, the afternoon is... It's not afternoon. Evening. Evening is rolled on, and your watch or your phone tells you that it's a more appropriate time to be making a phone call. <laughs> okay. This is, but this is like before I go out, right? Like before I go out on the barge. Where, or, however you, wherever you want it, man. Okay, yeah, because I mean, the barge would be pretty crowded to be talking about this kind of shit. Yeah, but nobody's there. Paying, nobody's paying attention. They're all drunk. It'd be super loud though, because it's a party barge. That's true. You gotta know where you can go to be in private, other than the bathroom, and I'm pretty sure that's noisy as well. Yeah, all the people puking shit up so they can party more. Yeah, and the loud stereo music. Um. So yeah, before I get in line to go on the party barge, I'll find a secluded-ish area I can make a relatively private call on okay. in. And I will put in the international code, all of that, and call Pari. Okay. Okay. Hello? Pari. Pari is... It's yeah, it's it's me. Where are you? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could. But for your safety and mine I can't. Well your father, they they took everything. I didn't think that they would have let you go. My father's dead. I'm sorry. Did you know? No. Are you okay? I'm worried. I'm sorry I couldn't contact you sooner. I know it's been a long time. I had to make sure that I had to let things cool off. I thought you were dead. Close, but I'm harder to kill than that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll chuckle on the phone a little bit, thinking of my uh, severe scarring yeah. from the run. <laughs> the pieces 
pictures of you still matching together. Um, yeah. You say, you say, well, what happened? Why are you, why are you calling me now? I just needed to know that you were okay. I don't know, um, I said that my dad was a traitor to the company, to the corporation. I just, I can't believe it, but I don't know. I don't have any answers. My father, he would not tell me anything when I asked about you. I hope that he doesn't know too much. I would, I would be scared for you and him. I, I have to find some answers somehow, though. I don't know how long it'll take. Right now, I'm just trying to survive. Well, I am safe, and you, sh- you should stay safe, too. <laughs> I'll, uh, you know me, I'll do my best. I can't, I can't stay on the phone too long. I don't know if maybe Satterkrupp is tapping phone lines. I just, I can't, I can't endanger you. I just wanted you to know I'm okay. Um, thank you. It's good to hear your voice. I wish I could say you'd hear it more often. Just know I'm still thinking about you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Stay safe, I gotta go. Call when you can. I will. Goodbye, future. Goodbye, party. And I'll hang up the phone and throw it into the bay. Wait, no, I'll stomp it. I'll toss it on the ground and stomp it. And put the pieces in my pocket. Um, the last time I described to you the barge area, it was a... There were... there's It's a garbage heap. So basically, it's they have piles of garbage on either side, and they lay plastic bags and tarps so that people can walk out to the barges because they've become empty. So there's piles of trash on either side of you, and trash compactors and stuff like that. So I mean, you're in an area where you know when someone sees a squashed phone, they're not going to think, "Oh, hey, I should pick that up." You know. Okay. Yeah, I guess he doesn't have to be too paranoid, or does he? That's your call. I already know the level of paranoia you need to have. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, I mean, he would at least take the, the circuit board, if not everything. The the SIM chip, the chip that actually, yeah. the, the GPS-related chip, you'd snap that out, and you'd c- toss the phone off to one side. Maybe chip that chip plus the memory, and then everything else doesn't matter, and then you can destroy those in two different locations. That's yeah. being incredibly paranoid. Well, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I figure that when I get out on the barge, if I just toss them into the into the bay, the water will destroy them. Or so that, fish will eat them. Or yeah, and then shit them out. Yeah. Or die. But either way, yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the sim and the part of the board with the GPS on it and throw it out in the bay when I get out on the barge. Okay. And I'm gonna party some. Alright, what does, and this is for the audience purposes, what does it mean for your character to have called Pari? I mean, why is this important for your character? Pari is a childhood friend, and, you know, as we as we grew older, um, kind of transformed into a romantic relationship. She's pretty much the only thing I have left in the world that I can call family. So being able to get in touch with her and let her know that I'm alive is really important. Really important to Friedrich. Okay. Yeah. So 
there's a motivation there for him to be safe, stay safe when he thinks about what he left behind or what is still behind him. Yes. And that's partially her. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, aside from the, the innate desire for a person to want to continue to live just for themselves, like she is his, uh, his anchor to the world. So. So, I mean, after, after the barge party, um, I'm just gonna, I guess, get another cab back to, back to the, your beer garden, back to my apartment. Alrighty then. Um, are there, I assume there's like 24 hour liquor stores somewhere around, along the way? Always. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> Does stop and go sell bottles of whiskey? Yep. Stop and goes, stuffer shacks, uh, was it Loco Foods? Loco Foods closes, uh, so they're not open, but stuffer shacks and stop and goes would be. Okay. How does putting an order in with stop and go work? You pick up your phone, you go online, you tell them what you want, and five, ten minutes away, they have so many locations by every highway that you just get on a highway, drive through a stop and go, they scan your phone as you pull up, uh, take the money out of whatever accounts attached to it, or unless you're paying with cash. And then they hand you, you hand them the cash and they hand you the stuff and you drive off. Cool. They're stop and goes all along 5, the 405, 90, 99, 520, the 202, the 201. They're everywhere. Fast, convenient. Now, if you have to stop, fill up with gas and stuff like that, you want to go to a stuffer shack. No, I just, uh, I need to, I need to stop and pick up a bottle of bourbon or maybe, uh, maybe some, some kind of whiskey on my way home. Yeah, you're going to want to actually stop at some place really fancy, like maybe at ABC Liquors, if you're talking about getting real tasting, real strong alcohol. If you're talking about some just knockoff generic brand, yeah, Stuffer Shack, Stop and Go, that's where you're going to find it at. Um, but if you want something like Jack Daniels, real Jack Daniels, you're going to have to go to an ABC. That stuff is not going to be found in a Stuffer Shack. Okay. Yeah. What's going to be found in a stuffer shack was something that was brewed in somebody's garage. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll have the cabbie stop by an ABC then. All right, and uh, and pick up some some nice whiskey. Not nice, just something that is real and wasn't brewed in somebody's bathtub. Yeah, it's going to cost uh, probably about how much whiskey do you like a fifth? No, just like a like a handle. You know, like a regular bottle at seven fifty. That's probably how much you pay for it. Seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, this just, if you want real whiskey and real alcohol, it's expensive. That's the idea. What we would think is just being something we can buy off the shelf is going to be ridiculously expensive. The right. cheap, crappy stuff. That you're like, man, I don't even give this to my my pigs. Would be what everybody gets a hold of. You know, Mad Dog Forty Forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the good wow. stuff. That's the good stuff. Well, that's all right because I think I've got seven fifty to spare right now, so I'll just get a bottle of Jack from an ABC on my way home. So that way, I don't have to worry about going blind or something like that. Blindness is important. Yeah, I kind of need my eyes for my job. So yeah, so I'll I'll pick up some. We'll just call it Jack. We'll pick up some Jack Daniels on the way home. Okay. I'll get back up to my. Uh, God, it's not really a nice apartment, is it? It's pretty run down. I don't have bugs, do I? 
no, you don't have bug issues because of the bar, and uh, your friend should be able to take care of something like that. All right, excellent. So yeah, I'll um, I'll get in and bring out a glass and pour myself a nice big one of whiskey because it has been a night. I was trying to um, kind of party barge my my feelings away, you know, dredging up history with Pari and uh, missing my old life, trying to rehash over in my in my memories of like what possibly could my father even have gotten himself into. Did he betray the corporation? Did he bring it down on himself? Did he get caught up in something else? You know, just all the questions have been running over my mind all night. So I uh, don't have anybody that I truly can trust in Seattle. There's Hans, the owner of Der Beer Garden. Um, but, you know, as, you know, I can describe him as the closest thing I have to a friend, but I don't really know how much I can truly trust him. It's been, what, three months? About that, yeah. So, yeah. But I'm going through my head. I've got to talk to somebody because you can't just – you get trapped in a loop, you know, when you're stuck in your own mind. So uh, I'm going to call Fira out of the astral plane. Okay. She materializes before you, and uh, she does so on the counter itself. Sits next to you, staring at you. Oh, Fira, would you like some? Would you like some good whiskey? She will uh, nod. Yes. You, know, you, you. She, she will, will. She says yes. I'll get her down a glass and pour her a little bit too. All right. Well, she'll touch it and set it on fire. <laughs> how does how does she appear? At this point in time, she should appear like a small ball of fire for the most part, and when she chooses to take a more humanistic form, she appears to be childlike. Okay. Like full-sized childlike or like miniaturized child? Which would you prefer? I well, I imagine she's kind of like miniaturized because, um, you know, like being a ball of fire, maybe she's just like ball of fire-sized child. I don't know. I like that idea. Okay. Oh, here I am encouraging a child to drink. Well, she only sets fire to the shot of whiskey. <laughs> um, I'm going to do my best to just be in character this whole time. Go for it. So if I if I go out of character, I'll say so. Fira, I I have to I have to have somebody to talk to. She'll um, smile. But I have to know. Does Rose know everything that I tell you? Are you two connected? She kind of stares off a moment. Does her hand kind of like an iffy? Does she only know if you want her to? She nods yes. Can you keep all this a secret? Ooh, she seems to be bright-eyed at that and smiles and says yes. <laughs> Good. Good. When I say yes, that's her nodding yes. If I say no, that's her shaking her head no. I just don't need to constantly... Right, right. Because if, if anything that I tell you, if anybody found out, I don't, I don't know how long I could stay safe. She shows surprise and then concern. Do you remember things? Like, um... You have memories. She nods, yes. You don't mind being my only family, do you? She shakes her head, no. Good, good. She smiles and then runs her hand through the burning whiskey. (laughs) Oh, so how would you like to know the story of my life? She sits down next to the burning whiskey, puts her 
elbows up onto her knees and her fist onto her chin and stares at you wide-eyed and glassy. Well, <clears throat> can't say terribly exciting for most of it. But, um, I'll try not to bore you, I suppose. She giggles. My, um, I never really knew my mother. Not in a, in a sad, broken-hearted kind of story way, but she died, bringing me into the world. Despite the best medical attention Sader Krupp could give or provide. My father, he was good. He was, he was a good father. Taught me, taught me loyalty. Loyalty to the corporation. You know, it's, you, you give to them and they will provide. That's what I, what I learned growing up. And the more you give and the more you devote and the more you prove your loyalty to them, the more they'll give in return. So that's, that's my family history. My family history. All the way down the line. She'll smile and clap. I know. <laughs> yeah. Loyalty to the corporation. Work your way up. Work your way through. Reward. Reward. She'll get a small scoop of whiskey between her hands that starts seeping through but burns as she lifts it up and then dumps it back into the burning cup. But I got to break the cycle of monotony. As I started to uh, get into school, they, uh, my special abilities, we'll say, started coming through. I was uh, faster than the other kids. Jump higher, farther, faster. She will get up and start pantomiming, running and jumping. Oh, she's adorable. And uh, I got the attention of um, some of the recruiters in the corporation. Because, you know, they keep an eye on all of the corporate kids. Talent scouts, they can be called. Ones with my special set of skills could be groomed to uh, serve the corporation in ways other than just pushing papers on desk. I wasn't meant to be management. I was meant for action. She stares at some paper on the desk and seems confused as she tries to push it around. <laughs> and since she physically can't move paper too well, it just burns. She seems confused and upset that she set fire to the papers on your desk. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine I have any terribly important papers. Receipts. Maybe, um, maybe some of the documents from uh, from the bank. Or receipts. The, uh, oh, yeah, receipts and stuff. I'll, um, I'll, just, I'll just use my hand to tap out the fire. It's not big, right? It's just a yeah. Yeah, I'll just tap it out with my hand. I'm I've been drinking for a significant portion of the night, so I don't think I'm gonna feel it too much. No, I, and I don't think it would be more than putting a match out. Hmm. So I'll I'll chuckle at her and tell her not to worry about the fire. But yeah, when I was um a child, a child, they discovered my talents and put me into a special program so that I could uh be a part of their security team. Guard this, guard that. Here's a checkpoint. Check the badges. If they don't have a badge, they don't come in. So that was, uh, that was fun. That was exciting. I, um, I guess I should rewind a little bit. Kind of add a character. When, when Fira is in the astral plane, um, does she know what I'm doing in the real world? Okay, so she was there for the phone call with Pari and all of that. Okay, excellent. She's always watching you. You, Like I said, if you've put her on, if you've used one of your first services for you to guard her, which you did, right? Remember remember that conversation? What do you want her to do? I just want her to guard me. That's all she's been doing. She's still on guard duty, so she understands the concept, and she hasn't stopped watching you. Okay. 
So right now in game mechanics, while you guys are driving down that road and you're about, if you had actually fallen out, she would have tried to protect you in some way from hitting the ground. Okay. So shoots at you, she's going to try to protect you from being shot at. You'll have a chance to see how a spirit can assist in defending you in combat. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay, back in character. So, Pari. Pari. I met... I met Pari when my father decided to um, find a martial arts instructor for me. We were stationed in Sauter Krupp's Indian Division. So, of uh, course, found a, uh, a local martial arts instructor. And um, Pari was his daughter. Pari means ethereal beauty, and it's a fitting name. She'll clap to that and kind of, like, dance. But, of course, when we met, we were children. We grew up together. She's the closest thing, closest friend I've had my whole life. And uh, to be half a world away, it's hard. But that's life. And uh, yeah, sorry, I keep derailing myself from my own life story. She will reach out and touch her hands before you bring the whiskey to your lips. And she'll smile like a sad smile. She sees that this is bothering you. You know, to try to show some some sort of compassion in her eyes. Because she's concerned for your well-being. I'll, um, I'll hold out my hand so that she can, I don't know, hold my hand or be in my hand, whatever she wants. She'll, like, she'll rest her hands onto your hand and then place her head into your hand so that her warmth. Because, dude, she's a ball of fire. Her hand gets very warm after that. But because of the mark that Rose put on you, it's not a burning heat. Mm. It's just a, like, wow, I just put one of those warming glove inserts right up to my hand. Oh, right. Hot hands. Yes. I just are drinking with you. So, um, okay, back in character then. So as we, as I grew up, you know, I uh, finally came of age where I was ready to go to do the basic training course for uh, Sada Krupp's security. Just standard security. Nothing, nothing special. You know, it's just <clears throat> literally checking badges. But there was one exciting day. One exciting day. And I'll stand up, start pacing the apartment a little bit. One, one exciting evening in my, uh, my, my budding career or security agent for Sauter Group. I was just sitting there in the guard booth, normal night. And then over the radio, there's, Frantic calls, frantic calls that there's runners, runners in the, in the complex heading towards the south gate. I'm at the south gate. I'm at the south gate. And I'm thinking to myself, this is probably the only exciting moment I'll ever have in my career. And as I'm, you know, going through the procedures, you got to get the spikes up, get the barricade wall up. I hear the screeching tires coming down the street around the corner. And I'm going to, as I'm pacing the apartment, I'm going to kind of act it out as I describe it. She will mimic you. <laughs> and as the van comes around the corner, I see this huge orc hanging out of the side door. Gun aimed straight at me. Starts shooting off full auto. No control of his gun. Total amateur. I step out to the side of the booth out in front of the barricade wall, and I just... 
twice, two bursts. That poor guy didn't even know, didn't even know what hit him. He tumbled out of the van. She pantomimes falling to the ground like she just got shot. <laughs> oh, but the van is still, still racing towards me. I don't even think that they knew they weren't going to get through the barricade or that the spikes were going to take their tires out anyways. But they're just coming at me. So I do another sidestep, two more quick bursts right in the windshield. The driver slumps over. Blood, brains, broken glass. And then the whole van just starts to veer, tumble, roll, skid to a stop. And just then, the VTOL comes in. Guys hanging down off of ropes, sniper out of that side, taking shots at the van. It was a beautiful thing. Adrenaline racing through me. It was, it was the most exciting day I'd ever had on the job. When you turn to look back at her, she is no longer laying on your desk. She's standing in the chair, holding onto the back of it as if hiding behind the excitement, you know, grasping onto the back of the chair, watching you as you tell your story. I'm going to reach out and kind of like pet her head because she's just being ridiculously cute. Um, and that was, uh, and that was the day that started the new chapter in my career of, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and pronounce this now. The day that I was recruited into the Special, oh god, hold on, I have to listen to it again. Yeah, take your time. Special something grouper. The Special Ciderhutz Grupa. The Cider Group Dragons, they were called. Mm. Oh, that was glorious. I got recruited, fast-tracked onto the entry list. I guess that somebody watched the security footage and was uh, saw some, some potential. Quick action, they said. So then I was pulled out of India, back to Berlin, for two years. Two years of training for that program. And you know what happened? Just over two weeks, two weeks away from my graduation, I get pulled in to the captain's office. What was his name again? Broden. Broden. His character's drunk. He's role-playing. Don't interrupt. I really don't remember. Oh, I thought you were role-playing. Damn it, it looked really good. Johannes Bodenheimer. Oh, right. All right, so you, you... Pantomime the whole, what was his name again? Yeah. Pick it up from there. Captain Brodenheimer. Brodenheimer. Oh, oh, it's, yeah, long night. Johannes Brodenheimer. Pulled me into his office, told me my father had killed himself. She gives a, a shocked look and hands on the face. Yeah. Killed himself that very day. She hops down on the chair, walks over and and, and grabs a hold of your hand again. It's a sad thing. And so she's going to lay, you know, hold on to your hand and lay her head on your hand. She can yeah. sense the emotions. I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess, collapse down onto the uh, sofa. If Hopefully I'm near it. Yeah. And uh, he told me my father was caught up in some kind of a corporate espionage scandal. My father, the most loyal individual I'd ever known my entire life. Raised me to never, never question the corporation. Always, always do what the corporation asked. Always do what they needed. 
to have Captain Brodenheimer tell me that my father had betrayed Sadr Krupp. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. I don't buy it. There has to be something more. He had to have been set up. Yeah. Shot himself before the noose could tighten, was what he said. The noose. So yeah. Handed me a ticket. Plane ticket to Seattle. Told me, never come back to my old life. Keep my sin clean. Keep my nose clean. And never draw attention to myself. Couldn't have a traitor's son in the dragons. There's no place for a person like that. So, there was. I had my entire life pulled right out from under me. And was given a, given a ticket, a plane ticket to Seattle and a cred stick and told, go start over. Go start over and here I am. I've left, I've left Friedrich behind. And now I'm Joseph Green. Joseph Green in Seattle. No family, no friends, just an apartment and a life in the shadows. Cause I can't get a, can't get a job with my set of skills, with a, well, legitimate job. Can't use my real, my real sin. Cause as soon as they run that, Sada Krupp's got me. They've got me. They'll find me. And I don't know the details. I don't know. Am I, am I safe? Am I safe to even utter the name Friedrich Becker ever again? I don't know. And I don't know how to find out. But some way I have to. I have to find out. I can't have these questions in my head for the rest of my life. She will, uh, she's standing there on the base of the couch. She's standing in front of the couch. She's got her hands on your knee and she's watching you and she seems very sad. She's being as empathetic as possible. And then, and, and she taps her chest a whole bunch and then touches you and smiles. <laughs> a little one. Sorry, of course. You are my family now. She smiles and dances in a little circle. <laughs> my little fireball. Fira. I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I was alone in this world right now. Remind me to thank Rose next time I see her. She's nodding, yes. Yes. Rose, I... Wow, you... The way the world works... I never would have thought that getting on the bus would have led me to Rose. Vera has a very shocked look on her face. I know. Just because she's... I mean, look at me. I'm torn inside, outside. I'll pull up my, my shirt to, to feel the, the scars on my, um, on my stomach. Oh, and then she can be like, oh! Yeah, when you show her scars, she's like, oh, you know, sad. She wants to reach out and touch them. She'll crawl up onto the couch, and uh, she'll she'll kiss her hand, and she'll touch them. And it's just going to feel warm. It's not that yeah. it's going to happen, but she'll kiss her hand and touch them. But yeah, Rose was an interesting, interesting lady. And when she touched my arm, and I'll... I'll pull up my sleeve and, and look at the... There's a mark on my arm, right, from where she touched me. When she touched me, 
I had, that was when I knew I was speaking with a, a powerful spellcaster. And, man, the, <laughs> those hellhounds, I had no idea that I was going to be able to convince them to leave us alone. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, the hellhounds, you weren't, you weren't there for the hellhounds. Oh, you weren't there for, you weren't there for my very first job in Seattle. Hans got it for me. What a fun job that was. It was for a, a lady named Jessica. I actually had to, uh, I had to get a new suit. Just for the job. I had a fantastic tailor. What was his name? Mishusan, I think. Anyways, excellent armored suits. I can take a bullet. And look fancy. It's nice to actually be able to, uh, you know, dress up now and then and still be safe. She'll clap. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, Jessica, she was, uh, meeting her husband. So obviously she needed armed protection. <laughs> no, no, they were, uh, getting a divorce or something. I was her guard for the divorce negotiations. Of course, my first job in Seattle, I wasn't wise enough. I didn't ask enough questions. I'm so used to uh, having the mission handed to me. All the details you need to know right here in this folder. Read up, and that's it. You go and you do the job. But this time, I should have asked more questions. We got there. Some kind of a sushi place it was. Of course, her husband... His guard, the total amateur, he took the free drink from the waitress when she came around. He never drink on the job. Never drink on the job. He starts to get all, ooh, room is spinning, and duh, that's what free drinks will do to you. They're always drugged. Panicked look on her face. Yeah. She grabs a hold of your whiskey and tries to pull it away from you. Oh, no, no, just, I paid for this one. Okay, she seems confused and shrugs. Oh, little one, this whiskey's safe, you can trust it. Okay, she'll go over and investigate the bottle to make sure. And then bring the bottle to you. Oh, good, I needed a refill. I'll, I'll pour a little bit more for me and... Has, <laughs> so, has, has her whiskey been burning this entire time? Okay. I won't pour any more in there. <laughs> but, um, so there he is, getting all woozy, right when the shit hits the fan. Because you see, this sushi place that we're in is apparently run by some folks that feel Jessica's husband has wronged them, and they want their due. So they pull out their guns. How many was it? Was it nine? Nine of them, gosh, all fanned out across the room, and I'll 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 gesture as I'm sitting there on the sofa, and I've got no backup, just this useless drugged orc against nine nine guys. So of course the shooting starts. Jessica gets hit 
despite me trying to stand in the way. Because, you know, it's hard to cover a, a full arc of, of fire. But there we go. I've got her bloody on my shoulder, running to the door. And this guy, Luciano, crying like a baby. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I'll pay you anything. This guy walks me into a trap. Of course he's going to pay me to get him out of there. Did his work live? I don't remember. I didn't have time to save everybody, you know? I've got a dying woman on my back, dragging this half-lit Italian out with me, shooting up the whole room as we go. That was fun. Taught me a lesson. Taught me a lesson. Always ask more questions. Learn the job that you're getting into. Because you're in the shadows. Nobody's got your back. Nobody's going to say, here's everything you need to know. They're just going to give you enough. Enough to be... Because if you fail, they're just going to hire somebody else, right? There's plenty of us disposable people out here now. She is intently listening to your story as it has mesmerized her beyond happiness and sadness. She's lingering at every word. <laughs> but I made it out. She claps. And damn it, he did pay me. She puts up her fist and punches a whole bunch. <laughs> and I think it's paid off better than I could have could have expected. Because, you know, once you do a good job, word gets around. And you get more jobs. Jobs that might be more dangerous, but if you make it through... Payout is, the payout's nice. So that brings me to the Hellhounds. We were breaking a kid out. Some underground hospital. Who was it? It was me. Zoe, that computer whiz with the interrupting cat. Gears. Never get away with a pink mohawk in the corpse. Who else? Oh yeah, Alan. Alan the detective. That is an interesting character there. Sunny was there. Funny. Funny thing about Sunny. It was it was her run. Oh, she didn't even have to be there. I guess she just likes to get in the middle of things sometimes. That was everybody, right? Oh, Ivan. So I thought that uh Rose's little firebrand on me was some impressive magic. This guy, this guy, like, lightning bolts everywhere, and just, whoop, brush it right off. There was nothing. It, he, he was, Ivan was youngish, right? Walked with a limp. Yeah, guy could, guy could hard, I don't even know if he could run. A man, when he got there, just obliterated whatever was in his way. So we we get in. We gotta crawl through a, a hole in some chain link fence. And then we come across the hellhounds. Because, you know, when you've got a guard of space, but you don't want to have people there all the time, you just put some hellhounds in there. Because who's gonna mess with them? God, they came out of that trailer. I had never seen a hellhound in person before. And there was just something in me that told me that I had it. I could do it. So I 
held out my hand and commanded them to get their asses back in that trailer. Just pretend we were never here. Took some convincing, but it worked. It worked. And I don't know how Rose knew that we were going to come across hellhounds, or if she knew, or if it's just the way the world works. We made it in. We made it into that hospital. We waltzed in. Zoe took over the system, took over the cameras, put on that that loop, opened the security doors, and we just waltzed right in. It was a milk run. Right until we cleared that first area. That first room with the, what was it, the, there was a table. I think they were playing cards. You know, normal, standard night on guard duty. Nothing's ever going to happen until it does. Until you've got six people coming in, guns blazing, tore the room apart. Then there's, oh man, how did we, what was it, the barracks room? On the other side of that door, was it Ivan blew a hole in it with a fire blast? Something. Blew a hole in the door. And I leapt through, leapt through a molten metal ring. And right in the middle of the door, started taking guys out in that room. Then, of course, there was another room. And another room. And then, it started to get hard. Was that an, an orc? I think it was. With some cyberware. Those people mutilate their bodies just to be better at something. But he was better at it. He was damn good. Started to get away. Went up in the in the ventilation shaft. Couldn't let him get out with his buddies. Because as soon as they got out, we were going to have a real response team on our ass. So I'm crawling up the duct with him. And he drops a grenade. Bing! Proximity grenade right on the wall. <laughs> the funny thing was, though, right when he dropped that grenade, Zoe shut down his cyberware. And he came tumbling past it with me. Actually, you don't know that Zoe shut down his cyber. Oh, I don't. You don't know that part. Like, he he slipped. <laughs> All you know is he, he dropped the proximity grenade behind you guys, and then for whatever reason, the dumbass let go. Zoe's never told your character. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll start back from... We're crawling up the ductwork. Yeah, following him up the ventilation duct. Grabbing onto him as he's... What was he? Was he climbing the rope? Or was he, was it some kind of retracting attachment he had? I don't know, but for some reason he let go after he dropped that grenade on the wall. And we both went tumbling past it. I never imagined I would know what it felt like to get hit with a grenade. Right there. Right up front. I'm <laughs> still not even sure how I'm alive today. But that's how I got these scars. And I'll point back to my my stomach under my shirt. But the team, they didn't leave me. They didn't let me die. They pulled me out of the rubble. Pulled me out of the rubble and Sonny said, here, take this. <laughs> and boy, did I feel right as rain after that. No pain. Clear. I was fast. I was on point. The world just slowed down and I was blasting through it. But we cleared all the guards out of the guard room, hopped back on our hijacked train, and headed over to the hospital wing. 
I'm still not sure what this hospital was all about. But, I mean, underground, must have been some kind of secret facility, some kind of special program. All we had to do was bust this kid out, get out of there, clean. Get out of there clean. But, of course, God, what did happen? What did happen in that hospital? We had to find the doctor in charge. Dr. Friendly? What a funny name for a doctor. Dr. Friendly. Working with kids. Guess they have to, they have to trust you and who's not gonna trust somebody named Friendly? <laughs> but, uh, walked through the halls, found the lab room, found the doctor, and then the spellcaster was a lightning bolt. Straight to him. Doctor collapses. Of course. Who's not going to die from a lightning bolt to the chest? The doctor. The doctor was not going to die. He started to get up. A, but not a doctor. He was now some kind of fucking dragon. A dragon doctor. I've never seen these things in my life before. Yeah. Doctor falls and a dragon rises from the ashes. I take some shots at him. No effect. Of course, I've got my little submachine gun. You're not going to kill a dragon with a submachine gun. Luckily, we had Ivan. Ivan the Magnificent. I don't know what he did to that thing, but Dave, that dragon fell. Fell faster than I thought a dragon would fall. But man, did I almost shit my pants when I shot at him. Wouldn't, not even a scratch. Not even a scratch. But, yep, I've, I'll have to tell you what happened to Ivan. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so the dragon's down. Now we've got to find this kid. We have to find this kid, but this hospital full of kids is now trying to find us. Of course, I suppose they're wondering what all the racket's all about. Come up on a group of kids. That's not the one we're looking for. Stick and shock to the face. That's not the one we're looking for. Stick and shock to the face. Finally, after I shamefully put these kids down, I didn't want to kill them. Didn't want to hurt them. But we couldn't take them all. How many kids can you get away with and still get away? Right? Can't take a hospital full of kids. She shrugs. Starts counting on fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many. Not too many. is. So, we took the one. We took the one kid. Just the one. But we got him. We got him out of there. We got him out of there and hopefully his life is better now. But we got out and we got paid. She claps. So, here I am, guts spilling out of my body. i uh not sure how I got there, but I woke up in a drawer, a cold metal drawer, no idea where I was. Felt around for a way out in the darkness, and finally worked the drawer open. And there was this doctor, for lack of a better term, I hope he went to some kind of medical school. He's like a cyborg, right? He's got extra arms and like, did, 
he's a completely like a total cyborg with a skin mask, right? That is correct. <laughs> but the doctor, unlike any doctor I have ever imagined, this guy was a, I don't know, total cyborg. The only, the only bit of humanity he had left was the bit of skin he wore over his face. She has this like scary look in her, her face, like, whoa. You know, it's like she she doesn't understand, but she's definitely scared. And she'll hide next to you, like crouching down next to the couch, looking over the edge of the couch at you as you're describing this metal horror. Wouldn't even take a break from his noodles to tell me what the fuck had happened. But at least he had saved my clothes. I put my shirt on backwards so that um so that I could cover up all the stitches. And uh yeah, put on my raincoat and headed back out into the world. Some alleyway full of uh, addicts and God knows what else. I thought, I thought about the hellhounds and the, the brand on my arm. And I, I just, I had to find Rose. I had to find Rose and I needed answers. You know, it's just, I don't know magic. I don't know anything about that, that aspect of reality. You know, so, so I'm, as I left the alley, I had had to catch the bus. What I'm thinking to myself, I have to find, have to find Rose, because just so many questions. The hellhounds, the mark on my arm, I, I just, I, I needed to understand what this was, what it meant, how I could use this new ability, this feeling that I had. And as I'm thinking about all this at the stop, bus pulls up and there's Rose. There's Rose. It's like, it's like she knew that I had these questions and she knew that I was going to be right there. So I get on and we're talking. I'm asking her this and that. And I'm, man, sorry. I'm trying to think of how I want to say it all. No, it's fine. You're doing great. So she calls this a fire elemental. And this is the first I've, I've ever, you know, the closest I've been to magic. I guess not because Alan called that that, what was it, a wind elemental that kept distracting people? But that was in the other room. I don't know if I was ever in the same room with it. Yeah. Anyways, rewind. <laughs> and she she summons a, a fire elemental, and the whole bus is, at this point, scared of her, you know, magic in public. And But I'm in awe. You know, right here next to me is this sentient fire being and I can I can hold it and it doesn't burn me and she'll smile and it was you it was you she'll stand up <laughs> and we we got off the bus and Rose stopped the rain because she knew it would hurt you and then she she bonded you to me she nods happily and here we are you know now we're learning together I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. She shakes her head no. <laughs> but I mean that's that's life. It's an it's an adventure, right? It's an adventure. I hope I hope that I don't disappoint you, Fira. She stares at you confused. I'll just kinda like I'm I'm pretty drunk now, I would imagine. Um I'm not gonna try and roll for it or anything, but just kinda get a blank kind of a blank face. Because it's been a long day. But uh, I'll look at her and 
I'm not going to let you down. She smiles. She taps her chest about where a human heart would be. And she, like, thrusts it out to you. Like she's thrusting out her heart. And then she grabs a hold of you and she hugs you gently. And she reaches over and she touches the, the part where Rose left you that scar. And she she's touching that and she... Like, she's trying to tell you something. Empathically, you can feel that she trusts you. This is like a trust thing. The scar, or the thing that Rose gave you, gives you a slight empathic ability with those creatures that are touched by fiery magic. Hellhounds, fire elemental, stuff like that. Giving your character an in-game charisma bonus to dealing with them. And basically, you can have empathic, even if there is a lack of communication. So with Vera, you can tell at this moment in time, she has trust in you. All right. How should we wrap it up? We wrap it up by her sitting there, um, showing you a little bit of something that she knows she can do. She's going to create the astral image of your scar and make it materialize into the real world for a minute. So she holds her hands over your scar. It turns more into a rounded jewel that then has fire-shaped filigree of red fiery magics spiral around your wrist like it's a bracelet. What it is, is there in the astral plane... I never told this to Rhett the other day at the game because I didn't think it would be beneficial for that to pop up while you guys are trying to do the whole, hey, we're trying to look badass at this Italian restaurant. If I had described that, Rhett would have been distracted. But in astral space, you have, um, it's like an astral foci, kind of, like an enchantment that's been cast on you, and its appearance is that of like a fiery bracelet. When you have clothing, long-sleeved clothing on, it covers it up, even in astral space. So if you're wearing nothing on your sleeves, it can be seen, and it hovers over your wrist, and it's like a bracelet. And what Fira is doing is basically making that materialize into the real world for just a little bit. Nice. And it, it burns and glows, and so if you ever needed a flashlight, she could make it appear, and then you'd have technically a flashlight. <laughs> That's handy. And then she will will wrap this up by sitting there saying that, you know, she, after making it appear, she takes your hand and presses it against her cheek. And she rests her hand, rests her head into your hand as showing like a sign of comfort. And then hops over, undoes the bottle, the Jack Daniels, and tops up your whiskey a little bit more before putting the cork back on and carrying the bottle over to the desk to put it away. <laughs> and then she will, like help you with your shoes and run around the apartment and, you know, do stuff. Uh, You know, she wants to be helpful. You said it was a long day and that you're tired. So she then helps you get comfortable and uh, brings you the remote. So like maybe a child, but also at the same time a puppy in the sense that she wants to be helpful. She'll bring you some more whiskey. She'll bring you the remote so you can turn on the tri- Trivid, Tridio, turn watch some TV, stuff like that. And nice. I think that pretty much wraps up your character's background. Awesome. Oh, did I do okay?
Thanks for listening to the original Box Set Shadowrun podcast. We'll have more character background episodes available in the coming weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with us via Facebook or YouTube to check out our actual play videos of the original box set playing Shadowrun and other tabletop RPGs. Today's featured music is titled Epic Song from Alpha Brutal, and trust me, the whole song's pretty epic, so check it out. A big thank you to Joe from Relative Dimension for hosting our podcasts. We'll catch you next week, chummers. And now for all this legal dreck. Original box set is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. You can share us, but please give us credit. The Tops Company, Inc. has sole ownership over the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Tops Company, Inc. has granted permission to Original Box Set, that's us, to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or any proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with Original Box Set in any official capacity whatsoever. Oh my goodness, that's so much. Okay, bye.